Good morning. Uh, this morning's Bible reading is found on page 916 of the Pew Bibles. It's uh, Romans 8, verses 18 to 27. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is not seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what, hit or for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes himself, the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And, we who, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. As war rages in the Middle East, as thousands die, as Russia and Ukraine continue to war against each other, as people die through malnutrition and other illnesses in Yemen, Somalia, Ethiopia, Kenya, and so on, as our family and friends fight or succumb to cancer, what should we do? How shall we keep going? How do we find hope rather than despair? The Apostle Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That is an astonishing statement by the Apostle. Even more astounding that the Apostle should apply it to himself. When his ship was not sinking or he was not being stoned or robbed, he was being whipped to within an inch of his life. In the area of persecution, he said, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. One less than killing him is the idea. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Friends, the Apostle Paul was not speaking poetically when he told the Galatian church, 
Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus and his suffering. And yet he says that the present sufferings, and here he's talking specifically about persecution, will apply to general suffering. It says compared, it doesn't compare with the glory to come. And when you think what he has been through, can you imagine how good the glory is? Right? Can you just imagine for a moment how good the glory is? And some believers down through the ages have had it even worse than Paul. People even today have been raped, tortured, massacred on account of the gospel. Like Christians in Nigeria or India, Myanmar. Like a 15-year-old boy hacked to death in Indonesia some years ago, simply because he was a follower of Jesus. Yet Paul says there is no comparison with the future glory. The universe will be transformed, evil will be eliminated, and we will have bodies like Christ's glorified body. There is a glorious future to come. We must realize that suffering is the pathway to this glory. We saw last week that the passage finished in Romans 8 verse 17. If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. But it's not simply suffering because of persecution. You see, everything and everyone is groaning, looking forward to a better day. And I think that video we watched captured that pain, that, that agony, that frustration, that calling out to God. Maybe you've been praying like that over the last few weeks as you watch what is happening in Gaza. He says the creation's grown and hope verses 19 to 22. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. There's a creation now. We're talking about the creation itself. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And friends, uh, Paul pictures creation, if you'll come with me for a moment, as craning its neck forward, stretching forward, eagerly waiting for the children of God to come into their true glory. It's looking forward to that day. God, come on. Come on, bring in that day. I can't wait to see when creation itself will be transformed into the beautiful image of the created brothers and sisters of Jesus, Christians, in the future. Can't wait, he says, until that day. Beautiful picture. Someone has said in the Phillips translation, the whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. But at the moment, creation in its present state is under God's judgment. We know from Genesis 3 that the world is under a curse, the Bible says. The curse is a pronouncement of judgments. The earth bears the scars of our rift with God. Australian scholar John Dixon writes, from the DNA inside the human body to the tectonic plates under the earth's surface, the physical world now contains a measure of frustration and chaos. Viruses grow out of control. Earthquakes decimate. 
Planes fall from the sky. Now, John's own father died in a plane crash in India when John was nine years of age. Plane fell from the sky. Although there is more than enough beauty and order still left in the creation to remind us that the universe is no fluke, there is enough disorder evident to remind us that things are not as they should be. Paul says that creation has been subjected to frustration or to futility. The sin which affected the divine purpose in men and women has affected the entire non-human creation as well. It's lost its purpose for which it was created. But there is a future for the creation as there is a future for the people of God as well. It will be liberated from decay. At the moment though, there is a bondage to decay. Continual cycle of birth and growth and death and decomposition. The whole process of deterioration in the universe that appears to be running down. And don't we know that? The scientists exploring what is happening. Islands about to be washed away, amongst other things. Pollution, global warming, etc. And creation, he says, has been groaning. This is 2,000 years ago it was groaning. It's groaning even more now. As in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Groans like a woman in labor. It wants to be delivered. But the creation has a wonderful future. And that's the great news. It won't end like this. Says the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Bondage will give place to liberty, decay or corruption to glory incorruptible. We're to share Christ's glory, creation is going to share our glory, Paul says. Kent Hughes writes in his commentary on Romans, he says, many of us have pictures of our wives after they've delivered a baby. And typically the baby's in their arms and the mother is radiant. None of us, or maybe some of us, none of us, he says, have a picture of our wives in labor. Get a lot of trouble, man, right? Hey, honey, can I just take a photo? Get out of my face, she would tell you, and a few other polite things. No one takes that photo in the middle of groaning, he says. We don't reach into our wallet saying, let me show you a picture of my wife groaning in labor. Isn't the agony terrific? Look at this. We don't do that at all. Creation will one day be delivered. And the difference between then and now is the difference between agony and ecstasy. Someday our groaning will come into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Free from pestilence, free from danger, free from earthquakes, set free. Friends, God has a plan for our world, a world beyond war, without disease, without natural catastrophes. God promises a new heaven and a new earth, which will demonstrate the glory of God. But it's not simply creation that groans, Christians groan too. Verses 23 to 25 describes the the church's groan and hope. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. 
What's Paul referring to? What are our groans about? It's not about persecution here, but listen carefully, but that we are only half saved. None of us is fully saved yet. Our souls are redeemed, but not yet our bodies, you see. I'm not taking away from justification by faith. We are secure in Christ. What we're saying is there's still the bodily resurrection. There's still the bodily transformation in Christ. It's the unredeemed bodies which cause us to groan. Even in little things, I, was walk, I started walking and getting some exercise again. You know, after a few extra kilos in Greece, you've got to work hard to get rid of them. And then my knees started to play up. So now I have to start doing squats. Come on. Can I? And then something else goes wrong. Our bodies are fragile and mortal, subject to fatigue, sickness, pain and death. We groan because of, groan because of physical frailty. Cancer, heart attack, diabetes, matter neurone disease, and ultimately death. We have said goodbye to a number of our dear brothers and sisters recently. Racked with cancer or some other illness. We have some right now in palliative care. Some continue for over 12 months with treatment with cancer. The doctor says it's terminal, but we're trying to prolong the life as long as possible. I remember an Anglican minister that I knew of, uh, I'd heard of uh, a number of years ago. His wife was struggling with cancer, battling a, a battle with cancer, and then his two daughters were killed in a car accident. Lost his daughters and his wife. He still declared that God is good after that at the service of the funeral services. That God has a greater plan and there's going to be a new day beyond this life. But I guess there was some groaning in the middle of that. And those who have lost their babies in utero or maybe soon afterwards, there's groaning. I remember Evelyn Christensen has written a number of books on, on prayer and she described it and I was reading it, it was like, Almost unbelievable. She talked about experiencing miscarriage, a, a full-term stillborn, a death of a baby at six months. I just couldn't read it. Groaning. And as a young guy growing up when I got saved, I remember the story of Joni Erickson Tartan. Teenager dives into a waterway and becomes a quadriplegic. Groaning. Yes, still God able to work in all those situations for his glory. I visited Margot, just uh, Ulrich, who went to glory this week. Her body decaying, very thin, had lost a lot of weight. But looking forward to being with Jesus. Looking forward to being with Jesus. No wonder we groan. We look forward to the redemption of our bodies. But we also groan because of our struggle with sin. A young woman once asked me uh, when the struggle with sin would be done away with. She'd just been a new believer, it's constantly struggled with certain sins. I said, oh, I guess when you meet God and become like Jesus. It's a constant struggle, isn't it? You want deliverance from this body, for the sinful nature dwells within this mortal body. Romans 7.24 says, Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. 
our Lord. We groan inwardly because of our physical frailty and also our fallen sinful nature. But we also hope for future glory. Verse 23 says, We wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. In other words, we're on tiptoe, waiting for our deliverance. God, come on, we're looking for it. Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come. Is that prayer, that explanation. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that he sent is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. On tiptoe, we wait patiently with perseverance to be transformed, to be set free from sin, to see Jesus, to worship God, and it's going to be glorious, Paul says, compared far more glorious than whatever you have suffered here. And C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, sadly, we are often half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Sometimes, friends, I can't see it. My mind is distracted by the, the lovely things we have here because there are plenty of good things amongst our suffering. And Paul's addressed those previously and will address them in the future. But sometimes we get consumed by the suffering or even by the blessings of this life, we don't see what is to come. And we are thankful that Paul tells us that in these dark periods, in the groaning periods, we don't groan alone. There's the Holy Spirit's groan and hope, verses 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express, you see. Creation groans, we groan, the Holy Spirit is groaning with us and offering prayers to God on our behalf. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Sometimes you don't know what to pray. Sometimes you just sit there and you sort of, you can't verbalize it. God looks into your heart, your soul, he knows. And the Spirit speaks to the Father on our behalf. Sometimes you, you can't put it together. So I don't know what to say, what to do. I don't know what to pray for this person in this situation. Maybe your situation. Maybe a neighbor's situation. Maybe a family member's situation. A work friend. You say, Lord, I just... Healing, recovery. What is it, Lord? I feel lost, Lord. I feel impotent even to pray. But God doesn't let go. The Spirit prays and intercedes for us in accordance with God's will. He helps us in our weakness. He comes alongside us in our weakness. He articulates what we can't articulate in our weakness. Christ also gives us hope and sends us into a broken world to make a difference. I like the fact that I said, here I am, send me. As we look at a broken world, we are called to be Jesus' hands and feet in the world, to make a difference, to bring hope, to let people know that there is a future, to get them on their tiptoes looking forward to the future to come, to see a suffering saviour on a cross, to believe in him, to turn from their sins, to receive him 
and to find joy, not just happiness. Thanks for the kids' talk. A joy that endures through tough times. Friends, uh, many of you will remember the non-Christian photojournalist George Gittos, who was with the United Nations medical team, providing emergency relief to people displaced by civil strife in that terrible uh, killings in Rwanda a number of years ago. And he describes an incident related to this preacher that you have up on the screen. He says, it was horrific. We saw thousands of men and children, or women and children, killed before our eyes. We were going in and getting the wounded out as the people were macheting and shooting and killing each other. Suddenly there was this guy standing in the middle of the people who were dying all around him. He just kept giving this sermon in one of those beautiful, melodious African voices, mingling English and French and Rwandan, quoting sections of the New Testament, those bits which bring hope, passages to do with the resurrection. And Gitto took a photograph of this man dubbed the preacher, but he didn't see this man again and has no idea if this man survived. He goes on, the preacher represents what I think religion should do. Raise people up, make people feel human and spiritually alive and give them courage and faith. So the medical team could offer nothing despite all their skills and technology. But with the risen Christ, friends, there was hope for eternity. Here I am, send me. In the middle of brutality, in the middle of massacres, here I am, send me. Speak words of truth, of love of hope in the midst of that. Friends, that's what we do. We pray, we come alongside, and we bring a message of hope. The eternity that we have through Christ and his death and resurrection by faith is secure. I want to finish with the words that we'll begin with next week's in sermon. Having described this, he said, and we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Our glorification is spoken as if it's already taken place. Suffering as part of our experience, get on your tiptoes, look forward to the coming again of Jesus, the recreation of our world, the resurrection bodies. And while you're on your toes looking out for that day, minister as the hands and feet of Jesus to those who are suffering around you, bringing hope, the hope of the gospel. Amen. Lord God, we come to you as a God who has suffered for us in your Son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, we do understand that this world has been subjected to frustration by you under your judgment and curse. We do look forward to your coming again, the creation of new heavens and new earth, where all will be perfected where you will live with your people forever. 
Lord, in the meantime, we offer ourselves up to you to be your servants, to display your love, your character, your mercy and your grace to the, towards all whom we meet, that they too would experience forgiveness, reconciliation and a certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life. Amen.